This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Fundraising is the most important aspect of growing your nonprofit, and it can also be the most challenging. Now, throw in a pandemic, along with some new technology that seems to be always changing, and a new currency in the form of cryptocurrency, and fundraising for nonprofits in your organization may just feel like an obstacle right now that may even seem a bit overwhelming. Well, my guest today will both shed some light on the current status of fundraising, but also share some of the key things they're seeing and experiencing at one of the largest community foundations in the country, which is the Orange County Community Foundation, or OCCF. Shelly Haas is the president and CEO of OCCF, and Tammy Tumbling is the first ever executive vice president and COO at OCCF. They're based out of Newport, California, and their combined experience will really provide you with some fascinating insights today into our current fundraising landscape. Enjoy today's show. Well, Shelly has been the president and the CEO of OCCF for nearly 22 years. And Tammy, as mentioned before, is the first ever executive vice president and COO at OCCF. Now, for my listeners' information, I want to give a little bit of background. So OCCF is one of the largest and fastest growing community foundations in the nation. In fact, I've learned that OCCF is in the top 2% in grant making among U.S. community foundations. That's remarkable. So well done, the two of you. Um, now, let's start out by talking a bit about what community foundations like yours like to fund. In fact, maybe give us a VIP behind-the-scenes tour of your foundation. So let's start with that. First, what kinds of organizations do you like to fund? Well, certainly, I've definitely been breathing and sleeping and dreaming and loving this work for just over 22 years. It's been an incredible honor. And something that's unique about community foundations is we have a DNA that's sort of made up of this double helix, one strand being service to donors and their own philanthropic dreams and visions and goals, and the other strand being service to the needs of our local community. So you will see that DNA reflected in the way that we do our grant making. So the question of what do we like to see with the part of our work that faces our donors, we love to help them make their philanthropic dreams come true. And that could be in the environment or special needs, could be across the globe, issues in Africa, could be in their own neighborhood and wanting to improve conditions. Our job is to help them understand what it is they want to accomplish and how best go about that with the most effective use of their uh, their charitable dollars. And then in our own Orange County backyard, we get to look at the greatest needs and determine where we can actually make the most impact Sometimes it's, it is a moment of crisis or urgent need, like the pandemic, where we're playing a leadership role. At times, we're looking for special populations. One of our first initiatives was for veterans returning to Orange County from service in Iraq and Afghanistan, really started looking at this issue when they started coming back from service in you know, 2013, 2014, and we launched a whole initiative 
that started with a data dive, a research report with USC to really understand their needs better. And then sometimes it's sort of a kismet, a synergy between needs in our local community and a donor's passion. And I'd love Tammy to share because this came together actually with Tammy, an executive uh, for the foundation who came uh, to me with an idea for her own passion in uh, uh, June 2020. Tammy, do you want to share a little bit about that? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shelley. Thank you. Not only am I a chief operating officer where I'm responsible for all of the internal operations for the foundation, I am truly honored and blessed to be able to work side by side with Shelly externally from time to time. And we recently, on Juneteenth, 2020, during a time of major unrest in the African-American community, I was able to launch what's called the African-American Alliance Fund for Orange County. It's the first of its kind at the Community Foundation for African-Americans, local programs in Orange County and surrounding communities. And we've granted so far, I started off with about $25,000 of my own resources. And the fund has since grown to over $400,000 in resources. And we've granted out about $300,000 to nonprofit organizations, African-American-led or African-American program service in Orange County and surrounding communities. And we're not finished. Shelly and I are super excited to partner on such an important cause. Thanks for sharing that, Tammy. Excellent. And I want to get back to that, in fact, because what you're doing with the Alliance Fund is very impressive. So I'm going to get back and ask you some more questions about that. I wanted to follow up a little bit on when it comes to nonprofits who submit grants for your consideration, which grants rise to the top? And what about their ask is the most compelling to your team? And perhaps, Shelly, again, you can answer that first and then Tammy next. Sure. So I'm going to address here specifically the part of the work that we do here in Orange County, where uh, in addition to the work we do for donors, where someone comes and says, I want to impact an issue, then we're really looking to see, do they have the right nonprofit partner and are they funding the right program? But for what you're talking about, sort of that incoming request for funds, that's a process we typically use for OCCF's own discretionary And those have been built over the years where individuals, either in their lifetime or perhaps in their estate plan, have left gifts to the Community Foundation because they just have a heart for the Orange County community and they know that needs might change over time. So they like the idea that OCCF is there monitoring moments of need, moments of opportunity to move the needle on an important topic. And so the foundation grants about a million dollars a year. Now, in to put that in context, last year we granted a little over $100 million, which is why we are one of the, there are only two community foundations of almost 800 of us in the nation that grant a higher percentage of their assets. And to me, that's purely a mark of the generous heart and soul of Orange County. We are a community that is made up of people who've worked you know, very hard, had a lot of entrepreneurial success, but also have a huge heart for our community because many of them are self-made. They they didn't, you know, come from plenty. They came in some cases benefiting from nonprofits. So some of those folks that said, OCCF, we want you to make some of these decisions. And so we do have rigorous structures for that. It always starts with the strategy. What issue are we trying to impact? I'll give one great example of a partnership that included our own resources and partners. We were contacted by uh, Disneyland Resort, Angels Baseball, and the Anaheim Ducks, all of whom reside kind of in the heart of Orange County, and said, you know, we're concerned, especially about older youth in our communities. They're lacking 
economic opportunity. There's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of unrest. We really see that they're not fulfilling their potential. And here we are, these very successful you know, corporations. We want to help our local community. We're willing to put the resources in. We just don't know how to start. So they each made a, a commitment of a million dollars over three years, brought OCCF to the table to say, help us design a program. And that's where, where our part of the equation comes in, where we always start with what we're trying to accomplish before we ask a nonprofit to respond with a proposal, right? So you need to know exactly what you're going to be measuring. What does success look like? What are you going to be measuring? And then asking nonprofits so that we're not asking for something unreasonable and we make sure the request for their services is going to match both the resources we can provide and what we're going to be measuring for success. That clarity, to me, that is, we're hearing more and more about trust-based philanthropy. That's the beginning of trust, right? Is just clear communication and mutual respect. Sometimes it feels like there's such a big power differential. I spent half my career on the other side, leading nonprofits, <laughs> making the writing grant requests. And then the last half of my career on the other side of the table, there is no philanthropy without strength on both sides. And so when we're looking for nonprofit uh, proposals, we're looking for clarity, alignment, and finally, that the nonprofit has the organizational strength, the leadership, and the track record to deliver what we're asking of them in any particular grant program. Well, I really like the fact that you know both sides of this process. Shelly, the fact that you've been a nonprofit leader asking for money from foundations, and now you've been distributing funds through this foundation to nonprofits for quite a while now. Very helpful perspective. Okay, now, how do you balance where you give your money as a foundation? In other words, I mean, I'm sure you get all kinds of requests from all kinds of organizations. You already have certain metrics that you are guided by when it comes to grant making. For example, I don't know, maybe uh, the Community Foundation is aiming for 30% of all your funding will go to climate change-related nonprofits or to hunger relief-related nonprofits. Or is it mostly determined by donors that just uh, specify their gifts? Like, in other words, do you have mostly restricted gifts or do you have unrestricted gifts? And based on unrestricted gifts, you kind of guide their giving to certain nonprofits that you really believe are doing great work. Maybe talk about the, the mechanics of how that works from your foundation. Sure. Well, I'll start and then Tammy, love to have you uh, jump in if there's anything you want to add. For our donor request, really, just as you noted, we really follow their, their heart. Often we're able to introduce them to new organizations they didn't know existed or they, they want to bring more focus. Many times donors say, we look back on the year behind us and we've, we've given a lot, but it's been a, a mile wide and an inch deep. How can you help us focus? So we do that work for donors. We also do it for our own resources. And so how we decide is really an annual scan of the landscape of Orange County and looking at the nexus of where there is need and where we think we can move the needle. So I mentioned our veterans initiative that grew out of a combined interest of our donors and an objective assessment that was actually a problem we felt we could get our arms around in Orange County and that we could then bring nonprofit organizations on board that had expertise in serving this population. And we, we all have heard the term mission creep. There are times when funding becomes available and nonprofits think, oh, sure, well, we could add that population to our services. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it really isn't a good match. So it's our job to understand which nonprofits are the best equipped and able to meet whatever we have identified as 
a need. And so we don't have a set percentage. We really make it a very fluid process because as we've all experienced the last two years, needs changed. And we, you know, the first week of the pandemic, I was getting calls and emails from colleague foundation leaders in Orange County and donors with the question, well, what are you guys going to do about this? So <laughs> we had a new priority right on our plate. So we like to stay very flexible so we can be responsive to the needs as they are changing year to year. Tammy, I don't know if there's anything you'd add to that. Sure. I'd, I'd love to add one a third uh, component. Shelly just talked to you about how our donor advisors um, will walk, work with OCCF staff to get the best advice on organizations to support and it's really based on what they're interested in and then we have we keep our ear to the ground and we like to know what's going on currently so that we can address current issues philanthropically but also our donors also have the option after they're no longer here they have an opportunity to leave a legacy behind and that's through uh, their legacy funds and they're able to um be very specific on what types of organizations they want to support after they're no longer here. And we continue to do that work on their behalf through what we call our legacy program. Now, thanks for sharing that. Very helpful. Now, let's talk about COVID. Specifically, how has COVID impacted philanthropy permanently, in your opinion? In other words, what are we doing now because it started in COVID that continue to shape how we do fundraising today? how COVID has impacted philanthropy just overall, there were two things that happened to uh, community-based organizations. For OCCF specifically, we had to focus on two things. One was taking care of internally our own employees because we'd not experienced that before. And so nonprofit organizations had to learn quickly how to provide service and support to the community remote and virtually. (laughs) We had to figure that out quickly. And then the other thing is to make sure that nonprofit organizations continue to thrive. We needed to make sure that they still receive the appropriate level of funding in order to continue to provide the more now than ever services that organizations and communities are starting to need as a result of COVID. And Shelly can give you a little more detail on an example of one of our philanthropic efforts during the launch of COVID, which really helped the community along. I'd be happy to do that. And Tammy makes such great points. I do believe that now the capacity we've developed to have hybrid events, to have virtual programs, to have virtual meetings, have permanently added a whole new set of, of tools in the toolkit, right, of nonprofits. We all have missed the uh the in the in-person mode. Now we're coming, you know, back in fits and starts with with that, but we have a whole new way of engaging audiences and and our own team. So Tammy has led an amazing effort of first sending all of our folks home to work and figuring out how to work remotely and then bringing them back and figuring out how do we work in new ways together, still taking advantage of technology and remote access, but really being together as a team. And as Tammy said, I think we're um, emblematic of the whole nonprofit sector that by necessity, we really had to invent this capacity. Well, most of us are, you know, solo operations. We're not part of giant networks that have a big IT department that's solving all of this for you overnight. You know, you're you're flipping to that pandemic section of your disaster plan that you never thought you'd have to open. So I do think it has had permanent impact in many ways to the better. The I know in your future proofing uh, podcast, you talked about 
the online, the, the surge in online fundraising, the shift to that online fundraising. I do think that's now a new permanent capacity. And frankly, uh, the, the other major shift was in nonprofits having to completely reorient essentially overnight their services to now this really this avalanche of people who lost housing, who were food insecure. One of the most compelling stories, I got a phone call on Saturday morning, early weeks of the pandemic from the head of our large local food bank, who was in tears calling me, coming back to his car, having delivered food to 10,000 folks who lined up at Angel Stadium. They just did a pop-up food delivery Whoever equates that with Orange County, we think of, you know, wealth and success that, you know, Orange County has that reputation, but the need here is pervasive and it's hidden. And I do think permanently now we are going to never have the same presumptions that we might've had in the past about who might be in need in our own communities. Well said on that. No, I'm really glad you mentioned my previous podcast with Elizabeth Pun from Classy. Uh, We talked all about future-proofing your fundraising. So let's talk about that. How do you future-proof your fundraising? I mean, you two are all about doing this. And in fact, uh, just as a recap, of course, we all know in 2020, I mean, giving online skyrocketed, right, for all donors. Uh, Before that, perhaps it was a little bit more comfortable for younger generations to give online. And perhaps some of the older generations didn't give online or didn't feel comfortable. They did like to give in person or through checks or sometimes, you know, in cash again and drop it off at the organization itself. But it felt like certainly in the last two years because of COVID, everybody's comfortable now giving online and we do so much more online in general. Even I've had people on the show before previously that talked about how you can even now get away, if you will, with asking for a million dollars online on a Zoom call. In fact, some donors are thankful that you don't have to get on a plane, fly to their you know, location, take them out to dinner, spend money on that, and put all this money from the nonprofit to, to do that. You can just simply go on a Zoom call with someone who doesn't live in your community and ask for a million dollars and people are not offended by that. Like there's some changes I've seen already. We've talked about it again on my show before, but what are you seeing from your community foundation's point of view, uh, specifically when it comes to future proofing your fundraising? Uh, and then maybe you could do it this way. Uh, what recommendations would you give to organizations as to how to future-proof their nonprofits fundraising? Tammy, perhaps you can start with this one. Sure, thank you. Well, first, it definitely starts with technology. When I think about all of the our current donor base, our future donor base, millennials, our Gen Zs, which I have children that are millennials and Gen Zs, and they're here in the workplace these days, we need to make sure that we're thinking about how they like to handle transactions, how they enjoy communicating. And a lot of it goes back to technology, making sure that you have a website that is mobile friendly. Anything that we do, we should be able to do it through our cell phones because that's what our future donor base wants to do is quick, fast transactions. Even as simple as if I'm making a purchase through a financial purchase, regardless of amount, a place like Amazon, I don't need to talk to the customer service rep. I need fast, quick, responsive transactions to happen. And I know that that's what our future donor base is going to want is the right kind of technology and the right type of service, clear, accurate, fast information so that they can make quick decisions. People don't read long newspapers anymore or long newsletters. They want information and accurate sound bites. And we need to make sure that we're providing them with the right type of information and with the right technological uh, platform so that they can make 
quick, fast, informed decisions, and the transactions will follow immediately. So definitely the websites need to be up to speed and mobile friendly. And then the second thing is how do they access their dollars that they put into the community foundation and make a transaction or make a decision on where to give? And that's through having a really robust donor portal where they can go right in, see their donor balance, just like they do with anything else, and and they make the transaction right there uh, on the spot. And then the last thing is different types of currency. Right now, cryptocurrency is popular with our younger generations. And OCCF, we've just launched that, where we have the ability now to accept cryptocurrency and convert it over to U.S. currency and allocate it back to the community. So those are things that I think would be very useful um, as we're thinking about fundraising, fund proofing this uh, type of work to make sure that our donors have everything they need moving forward uh, to get them into the uh, 21st century. I would give an example of what Tammy was sharing. We sort of accidentally did a great job at this back in uh, 2015. It was our anniversary year, our 25th anniversary year, and we launched a countywide giving day. And as part of that, we enabled 350 local nonprofits to participate and help them come up to speed on the online fundraising tool. We built out a technology platform. We built them social media assets. We did training. So we did this whole basic boot camp to help them participate in this online, you know, 24-hour giving day. Who knew that, you know, five years later, that was the way they were going to have to reach their folks. So I would encourage more funders to think about investing in that kind of capacity. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. And finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, maximizing the benefit of technology has been critical for the two of you at OCCF. And in fact, I'd say it's something you really are good at and you're a leader in. Now, when it comes to where nonprofits can improve, what are some of the most common pitfalls that nonprofits struggle with when it comes to technology? Rob, I believe that it, when it comes to technology and where nonprofits probably fail is to really look beyond the work that they're doing today there has to be some type of vision for what type of technological tools you'll need in order to be successful for the next generation of donors or community leaders. And that's through planning and organizing. And the number one thing is to not be afraid of what it costs for you to roll out these tools. Because there are, when you're working with vendors, 
they actually have nonprofit discounts. You just have to talk to them and make sure that they have all the right information and they're willing to work with you in order to give you some of these tools at a lower cost. But if there is a fear or assumption that it's too expensive and we just can't do it, um, that's where I think nonprofit organizations will lose out. And if there is a cost, there's opportunities to set up fundraising opportunities where maybe they can get one major donor that will support their technology platform if they don't have the resources. So just to get out there and be strategic and look forward to setting up strategy and finding the resources to make it happen. No, excellent. Excellent. Okay. Now, building off of that, could you talk about the two most important new uses of technology that you're currently implementing that has really made a difference? And perhaps you would now recommend nonprofits to utilize these same uses of technology. What would you say to that? Are there just two that you could focus on? Absolutely. We are looking at now converting from our existing CRM or customer relationship management tool to a more robust tool internally for our employees, uh, which is more cutting edge and it will provide them with more um, opportunities to uh, pull very quick, accurate reports. Uh, They can communicate electronically faster with our donor base and other nonprofit organizations. We'll be able to do that through our new technological platform that's going to speak across not just our internal foundation, but we're using the same platform externally so that everything is just one-stop shop. And our donors will get, they will be viewed as uh, one record with, and we'll be able to see an entire donor experience through our platform. And then the second thing would be, again, is just to continue to make sure that all these things are mobile. Um, We need to make sure that we have mobile apps or a a way to access these things mobily. Well, I like both of those examples. Thank you. And Tammy, you have a very powerful personal story. In fact, you mentioned this earlier, the very first question, uh, the fact that you took $25,000 of your own money from your bank account in order to launch the African-American Alliance Fund which was established again to raise awareness about systemic racism and support programs that advance African-Americans within Orange County and then the surrounding communities. Now, since its inception, uh, this Alliance Fund has already uh, raised more than $425,000 in contributions and granted close to $300,000 to 26 organizations. So first of all, congratulations. Truly, you've really set a powerful example by giving out of your own funds. And obviously, you've inspired people to give to this fund and you've raised almost a half a million dollars. Like truly, congratulations, well done. Now, you like Shelly have been on the donor side as part of this foundation and the nonprofit side asking donors and foundations for support. So how's your experience as someone who has raised money for a nonprofit impacted how you lead now at the Community Foundation? Oh, it's been super exciting for me, Rob. One of the things that happened here is I just watched the TV during the uh, 2020 unrest and saw all the things that were happening in the Black community and realized that I want to do something, but I didn't know what. I'm a COO, so I'm running an internal operation for a wonderful community foundation, but what can I do personally? And I thought, I care. I have a heart and I have hands and I I can be a philanthropist too. And I'm going to uh, surprise Shelly. It was her 20-year anniversary at OCCF. And I asked her, do we have anything like this for the African-American community? And she says, it's been 30 years, Tammy, we don't have it, but it's, it's in the plans. It's in the plans. And I said, well, guess what? You're going to have your first fund 
for African-Americans by an African-American philanthropist, because I'm going to step up and this is what I'd like to do for you for your 20 year anniversary. And it's such a worthy cause. I couldn't see not doing it. And we did it on Juneteenth, 2020. We launched the African-American Alliance Fund. And who knew a year later, who had the crystal ball? But a year later, it became a holiday across the nation. And so now when Shelley and I think about you know, the Alliance Fund, we always go back to Juneteenth, 2020, when we both so excitedly talked about it and set it up. And now it's focused on um, supporting things that are uh, around education, health, human services, economic business development. And in order for us to make a major change, policies need to change. So civic engagement are the areas that we support now. And it is indeed thriving. We just recently announced 15 new grantees on Juneteenth. Every Juneteenth, we try to announce new grantees and we're continuing to do so. And this is our second year. I'd love to pile on with my appreciation for Tammy looking at needs in her community through her own life experience and approaching it in such a positive way. So there are many issues that we're dealing with that are so complex and difficult and sometimes feel overwhelming. But Tammy called me literally on June 17th, two days before, <laughs> right? And said, yes, ma'am. I got it. I have the inspiration. This is what I want to do. And can we launch it? And so I, as the CEO, became her staff person. And I said, please, it would be my honor. Let me develop these documents for you for your review and signature. And then she asked me to be a co-advisor on the fund. It's such a beautiful story of taking a moment of deep, deep pain in our in our nation and turning it to the positive and seeing the value, the incredible strength and beauty and, and potential and promise of Black communities in our region. Well said. Um, and again, congratulations. Such a great response uh, in a short time. And I think, again, because you set an example of giving out of your own funds, Tammy, to uh, get this started. Uh, very, very well done. Now, Shelly, kudos also to you. Um, you have a great track record in this space. I mean, you've led at OCCF, as mentioned, for nearly 22 years. Uh, that just doesn't happen as much anymore. So way to go. That is great staying power. Now, here's what I find a bit discouraging, however, when it comes to the fundraising sector that's now, sadly, a growing trend. Recent studies are showing that over half of all fundraisers are considering leaving their job in any given year, over half. And additionally, according to a 2019 report in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, they point out that approximately 30% of fundraisers plan not only to leave their jobs, but will leave the nonprofit fundraising sector altogether. So Shelly, why is this the case, do you think? You've been around for a long time. You've been doing this. You have great experience. What is going on with the state of fundraising today? Okay, I'm going to reframe, Rob, because I get that that can seem like a negative trend, but I'm going to reframe a little bit for you for my total tenure in the field of philanthropy has been 36 years. I started in the summer of 19, 1986 while I was still a graduate student. So this has been my, my field of choice and, and love and uh, joy for all of those years. This is, I believe, not a negative sign for, so let's let's talk about those who are shifting positions, not leaving the field. So I'm going to bifurcate that. So development folks have a certain DNA. They are about growth and opportunity and challenge. They want results. For the most part, there are some notable exceptions, of course, but for the most part, a great development person is going to come, change your life, change your world, 
change your program, open up new opportunity. And then after two or three years, maybe four or five, if you're really lucky, they want the next horizon because that's what drives them. So there is a baked in, I think, proclivity and desire for sort of what's over the next horizon in folks who are fabulous fundraisers. So whenever I've hired a person in that type of a role, if I have them for more than three years, I really think that we have hit the jackpot. So I never go into hiring for that type of a position, believing it's going to be someone who stays forever. And I'm going to say, second of all, great development people are in high demand. So they may have been with you for 90 days and they are already getting that outreach call. They're already getting, it is the one more heavily recruited position than chief executives, than COOs. It is the most highly recruited. So there's, right? So there's a huge pull. Every nonprofit is looking for their next great development person, right? So, but I'm going to frame this as opportunity. I get it as a nonprofit leader. It can feel like a burden, like, oh my gosh, I just hired this great person. I trained them. I invested in them. They've created relationships and now they're going. I get it. However, I really reframe this as an opportunity to have new skill sets come into your organization. No one person brings the whole package. So if you, if you plan for succession, that also means having a program in place. Tammy has been the champion of this at OCCF, always knowing that you have to be looking at who's your next leader, or at least who's a really strong second in command that can provide a bridging during times of transition. It forces discipline that you have to be looking ahead and strengthening your next level leaders. So I'm going to reframe that as a, a generally a positive. Now, the part of the data that was about leaving the field altogether, I do think in recent years, that's heavily influenced by people who are retiring. And we know in the pandemic, it accelerated a lot of folks' plans that just were like, I think this is my moment. So I'll want to see those data maybe in five years after we get through the anomaly of the pandemic to see if people really are leaving the field altogether. If we see a sustained pattern of folks not just changing roles within philanthropy, but we see a sustained uh, a trend of folks exiting philanthropy altogether, then I, I really do feel like that would be cause for concern. And for folks, foundations that are looking to strengthen the nonprofit sector overall, we need to really dig into that and look at what do nonprofit organizations need to be attracting and retaining folks. I personally think part of the equation is looking outside the nonprofit field for your next fundraiser. The person who's in my uh, our, our Tammy's, she is a direct report of Tammy's, but in our sort of business development, it's a little different at a community foundation than a typical fundraiser. She primarily came out of the business world with one stint in a nonprofit at, at an education nonprofit. Uh, I think we need to also be more creative about who we're thinking about for these roles. And it's not just stealing the great fundraiser from the nonprofit next door, but who could we bring into this field that might make a lifetime career out of it? Well, we've so appreciated your insights today. Thank you so much. How can people find out more about you and your work? In other words, how can they contact you and specifically the Orange County Community Foundation? Sure. Well, as Tammy said, our website, uh, which we're in the process of uh, renovating right now, but it, it, it'll get the job done for right now, which is oc-cf, like communityfoundation.org. You can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can find all of those handles and links on our main website. And uh, all of our emails are on that website. We're very old school. We love to have people email us. We're on LinkedIn as well. 
Essentially, you can search for the Orange County Community Foundation in Newport Beach, California on any platform online and you're going to you're going to get right to us. Is there anything I'm leaving out, Tammy? No, that's how you find us. We even have Instagram. Well, once again, Shelly and Tammy, thank you. Thank you for taking time to be on the show. Thanks for all you're doing to build up the nonprofit sector. And again, for sharing your insights today and your experience. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks. Pleasure to be with you. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.